but it was kind of goes back to like you could be data collecting and all these different methods and, and watching the wind and watching all this other stuff but like hey find a guy that's been in, in, in the guy on the ground that's lives there right real good dude to talk to and that's like right business and like anything there's always somebody that has the key to it that is kind of outside of the scope of your normal influence yeah well when you were sitting there talking about like um you know breaking it down oh you do this and then you do this and like oh what's next like i'm literally in my head sitting there thinking about football right and going okay well i watched the tape and i remember on you know third and long 60 percent of the time they were in this yes deep, and then they were in this cut and then, then that this was the the uh you know the secondary rotation and this mm -hmm. was the coverage they were in and so then i know what i'm gonna do yeah, like you start literally, it's the exact same thing. It's the exact. It's that's like... why when we first started talking about <laughs> it, when I was like, "Man, once you start getting into the strategy and the flow chart of that, it becomes yeah. like really addictive because you're like, you could start kind of predicting the scenario based on percentages and patterning and who's who's noticing what they call like snipers or just trained observers with weaponized math. Mm -hmm. You know, who, that who, makes sense. Who, yeah. Who's watching the patterning of, of of actions and and you start predicting things that are occurring. Which is best football play, football coaches do it right? Yeah. They're well, it's but it's like you know we talked about when it, well, I think the first time I ever met you is like okay, I remember when I was like a 19, 20 year old young coach, mm -hmm. and I was in a room with all these guys who had been coaching for thirty years, and I just realized how stupid I was. Right. <laughs> like, everything they said, I was oh okay okay, right. and it would one one bit of information would open this wormhole. Yes. To a, a million other pieces of information. And then you had to go learn each one of those and each one of those opened another wormhole. And it, you know, to the point where now it's 30 years later and now I still could learn a million things, but at mm -hmm. least, you know, now people would be like, Hey, what would you do here? What would you do here? That's like where I am with hunting, right? right. At 55. It's like, everything is open. Kind yeah, of all you guys that I'm around that have yeah. been doing this for 30, 40 yeah. years. And I'm like, I'm the biggest idiot in the free world. <laughs> I feel it all the time. The interesting part about, I guess, like hunting or, you know, business, football, whatever it's, it's almost like a deduction mentality is what kind of, because I would say on a football field, there's a million plays you could run. Sure. But they're not all going to work. Right. So, yeah. you, so you start going, on the situation. hold on, these 70% of these plays are not going to work. Good. I only have 30% of them to look at now. Yeah. And then based on the, the horses that I have, all right, well, now it's 10%. And then based on the scenario we're in currently, now it's 5%. All right. I'll gamble on five and see, what, see how it shakes out. But that's, as my hunting has gotten better, that's what I think I could cut out the, all the other stuff faster. And that, that has been huge. Now anything can happen, of course, but that, that is the biggest, the biggest piece of the puzzle, I think is just knowing what's not a good, and that has for business too. That's marketing, everything. This is a bad idea. Don't do it. <laughs> Don't spend money on it because it's I, all overhead. Right? I just had that conversation with like a group of one of my clients this morning, right? Four doctors who are literally, you know, they're $3 million just to get the doors open. Sure. But they're looking at, you know, a $600,000 piece of technology. And one, you know, a couple of them are really excited about this, like super juiced about it. And it's a great piece of technology, but I'm like, that's, that's a six month piece of technology, mm. right? You don't six need, month and, oh, you, you don't, don't need, need it. it when the doors like you need to phase into that. Like, right. you don't need to put that capital out front right away. 
because of what happens in the beginning, you're not going to be able to ramp that phase of the business up for six months anyway. So why pay? So why pay that? for it now? Like, sure. You know, and so that just deduction mindset, you're yeah. like, this is how the, the reduced possession <laughs> model, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I mean, is that how you got, so I, I'm always in, like, I'm interested, we talked about this before, but I'm interested with, when you look at Sorenex, what it was when your dad started it, mm -hmm. you know, and what he did with it. And then how you took that and transitioned it to this model into colleges and NFL teams. What, what was your, from a thought process standpoint, like how did you go there with your thought process? And then how did that follow from an execution standpoint? Well, uh, it's a good question. You know, when people don't re maybe realize is like the clientele level has always been there. I would, if you broke it down like strength conditioning, there's like intensity and there's volume, right? Mm -hmm. We always had the intensity i.e. University of Tennessee was purchasing from us. The football team was purchasing a full weight room, custom weight room in 1985, 1988, stuff like that. So you were putting stuff into big we universities were. that early. So the intensity was there. Okay. And the Chicago, 1990s Chicago Bulls, you know, Jordan was, you know, when they were the Bulls, the Bulls, that was, that was our stuff. Okay. So we were there. It was just the volume wasn't there. So we were kind of like this secret, this like mom and pop husband or be a son and pop kind of unknown. You know, we would do a few big jobs a year, uh, some local folks and we were just kind of moving on with our lives. Right. It was, so it was, it was, that was where it was. And I think maybe what I pushed was volume and, and of like, how do you scale this? And what I realized was our story was unique. Our branding in a way was unique, but we, we didn't have the opportunity to tell the story. So it was, how do we expose more of the world to who we are, not, not be different or create something different or like, let's create this image or this. Like, no, I think what we're doing is pretty good. Just more people need to know about it. So that was where actually taking legitimate marketing efforts, branding efforts and exposing like more of the world to what we were doing. And then At what time for when was that? Like late nineties? Uh, I got there in 1999. Okay. So first I came there as just pops as helper, you know, mm -hmm. he'd been holding the reins for 19 years by himself right. and just needed somebody to help. So initially it was just me helping out. But what I quickly found because I was training for attempting to make a 2000 Olympic team, the 2004 Olympic team with a hammer, I was training. So training was my life. So that really worked really well because my goal was human performance. So I was kind of in a way on the same side of the table as our major customers. Yeah. So I was trying to unlock the keys to it, but I also had a hand on the wheel that could actually create the tools that unlock the keys. So I was learning for my own voyage. It was, I was kind of like a sailor that was also building boats. And, and selling them and selling them right. to other sailors who were also trying and, to explore the world. So then you could talk to them on your level, like, Hey, this is what I'm doing. I mean, relationally, it's just like, you could just walk in and kind of fit together. Right. Right. And, and there's, as you well know, in the, the coaching and strength world, there's very few times when someone it's kind of like, I hate to say man code. It's not man code, but strength code. If someone walks into your weight room and they're a, um, an athlete who is, died in the wool like they are training not working out every once in a while but like they're training for a purpose mm -hmm. and they and they're in town and they ask to train at your facility kind of ethics are you don't turn them down right like that's that's not a thing 
Like if you're training for an Olympics or a powerlifting meet or whatever, and you go into town and Hey coach, you know, would you mind if I stop by, I need to get a training session in blah, 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 blah. They always say yes, partly because out of respect, they would want the same courtesy, but also they want to see a high level person. What are they doing? Yeah. And then, so when I would walk in and I would be either moving some, some decent weight or I was training for something, Mm -hmm. I would go and start training. The coach would walk over and watch what I'm doing a technique wise, or then I would walk over to him and start asking him questions or their kids would be training. I'd get to watch. So there was, there's become this, the knowledge was free flowing back and forth. And it wasn't, I'm a purveyor of this product. I want to sell you. It was, I could help you if you need it. Yeah. But in the meantime, I have to compete tomorrow. So I need to get a training session and do you mind? Mm-hmm. And of course, now we're on the same page. The coaches and I, we would get talking training. They'd come and work. Like, well, hey, let me get a session in with you. Sweet. Let's squat. And we would lift. And then afterwards it's, hey, let's go out and get something to eat and go talk training. And then what I was doing unknowingly, I was learning everything in the industry that needed to be changed from the voices who wanted it changed. And I don't believe any of one else in the industry was doing that. They were trying to say, I have this product, come buy it. Yeah. And I was with the coaches and trying to solve my own problems in training because I was undersized for as a professional thrower. So I was having to figure like, how do I eke this extra meter out of this throw? And it was through advanced training techniques or gear. And so then I was always trying to make just what will make me throw further. Well, I'm going to, power sport. So if it works for me, it's probably going to work for a university of wherever. And I was getting the feedback. So I think inadvertently I took a drastically different approach to the business that every other, all my competitors did. Um, and which but, is now honestly in today's market, you see so many people doing that. Sure. Cause they realize that people want authenticity. It's the expert. They don't want to be sold. They want to buy an, a product that they relate to that they right. connect with. And that's authentic. Correct. And for years I would hear our customer base fight for us and they're like, but you guys actually train. Like they go, yeah. you actually know what you're doing. Cause I've seen you squat 500 pounds in my facility. I know you train, you're about this. And I have one coach literally grab my hand and he pointed my calluses. He's like, you see those? That's why I'm buying from you. He's mm-hmm. like, if a sales guy walks into my place and he doesn't have got calluses, soft hands, I'm not listening. Yeah. And so it was, it would just so perfectly happen. It was a God thing that I happened to be in that phase of my life when I got into the business world. And it was like, I was shot out onto the ramp off the ramp onto the highway of the business world at the perfect time. And, and, and so that was a, a key piece. And then the people that I hired and brought into the fold were all those same people. Like Paul Beckwith worked for me 20 something years ago. Right. And you know, he was doing the same thing, trying to get an NFL. Like, so everyone around us were like, we're about this. And also we're pretty good at building stuff. We're good at listening to the customer and going, yeah, I agree. Let's figure out this. Let's solve this problem. Let's cut this time down on your training or add efficiency or, or accountability or safety to the room the facility and so we were able to be extremely agile during those times and so that's building that and then our customer base became our marketing and we tried all the marketing things you know we would do like one page ads and this thing and we would like you know it's like five thousand bucks like so much money to us back then it's like mm-hmm. it's only five thousand dollars to do it in the afca thing and i do it <clears> and like I don't know if anything would happen it was you know no offense to those guys but we would run a page ad and spend all this time I had in the marketing department. So I'm like trying to hobble these things together. 
but I realized what worked was me going out there and living the training lifestyle, which is what I was already doing. But this just gave me gas to follow my dreams and go, okay, then I'm going to just try to do this. And if you like it and you associate with it, cool. And then we built a, a network of people that are, especially a lot of younger coaches that were kind of my age, there were assistants and things like that. They would come out and train with me and we become, we became friends. And then years later, they're, they're the, the head strength coach at, at Georgia. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they're mm -hmm. the head strength coach at so-and-so and then people come in and, you know, and, and you know, I've had those coaches go, man, our ties go back 20 something years and I know everything about your company and I've done installs. I've been all like, you're our guys period end of story so it's hard because like this the scalability but also the replicatability of that model is really hard it's almost like saying you want to be a better football player like pick better parents yeah you know because it's like <laughs> right in, in a way it's kind of like yeah you kind of should have done the work 25 years ago mm-hmm I kind of happened to have, you know, yeah. I, I didn't know it at the time. Right. You were doing it. You were just doing what you do, but it, the two things ran a parallel track. They did. Now, being... had, now, had I been training for that and been a refrigerator salesman, that wouldn't have applied. Right. Right. And so it, I feel so blessed that it just so happened that my passion, my gifting and my position all kind of Venn diagram together. And then we were able to do something with it. Cause I look in a hundred kind of that deduction model, a hundred other method ways of combinations that wouldn't have worked. You know, had I been a business guy, a heavy business guy getting into the strength world, it wouldn't have played. You would have been doing all the three analytics and trying to figure all out the stuff. You know, right. Yeah. And, and what's going to sell, what's going to sell. And, and there's people that have done it, that have done extremely well, that have already made their money, sold their company and, probably doing much better than I am, but I'm not that smart when it comes to business, but I understand, I understand what I would want and I understand my customer base. And so I go, is this how I would want to be treated as a customer? Is this how, what I would want to see happen in my weight room? Is this, and if it is, if it passed that smell test, we go with it. Yeah. You know, when you and said, then I, then I hire someone that does all the profit <laughs> stuff, the smart people. Well, that's what you're supposed to do. Right. Mm -hmm. No, I always say a man's greatest strength is to know his weakness. Sure. Right. And then make sure that you figure out somebody that can help you do that. That was one of the bigger spikes is when we started hiring out those positions mm -hmm. because man, I'm bad at it and yeah. pops isn't good at it. Like it, the hard part is, is pops and I are so similar in so many ways. And when you have two lions, like great, but all the stuff that lions aren't good at are total exposures. Yeah. So once we learn like, Hey, let go a little bit, trust, hire the people in those places. And then you could be a lion, like, because yeah. then you're there because you don't have to sometimes be a lamb. Well, it's, I can't remember. I was, I, I'm terrible at remembering what I read or who wrote it or whatever, but I was reading, it was, it was an article that was a profile on what they called visionaries, mm -hmm. right. Which I would put you in that category. Mm -hmm. Right. And it's, it, it's, it has this kind of, connotation when people hear the word visionary right it's kind of has this grand connotation but the what they when you really get down to look and say what is that right it's a person who can see what other people can't see mm. and White space this right there. yeah and they tend to be uh very creative in nature um they are also also very disciplined right so there's mm. kind of this confluence of these two things that a lot of people don't have but 
what happens with them is they they have amazing ideas. They are really good at getting something going, right? And they get it to a certain point because of their vision. But then when it starts to rely on execution and structure, if they're not smart enough to bring somebody in that's good at that, that's when everything just stagnates. And then they start to run into problems because they're, you know, in a lot of situations, their ego's too big sure. to recognize or to say, that's not something I can do. Right. Because they generally have such high passion and yeah. passion is an emotional response. Right? Correct. And so they're like, but this is what I feel it needs to be. <laughs> and you're like, and I've had to look back. I'm like, oh, so dumb. Like, and there's some guy sitting across from the table saying, no, that's not the right way to execute this. Like right. we want to give you what you want, but that's not the way to get there. Right. And what I had to start looking at from a business side, it's kind of funny. The business portion of it, I have no quantifiable uh, goals. Necessarily. And like, it, let's, like a little cute goals. Hey, I'd like to do this, this court. Like, mm-hmm. okay, fine. And still, I don't really care. Um, the goal is how do we make Sornex profitable and sustainable for as long a period of time? And unpacking that means do we get to keep doing this? <laughs> yeah. That's all that means. Right. That's all it means. People are like, what are your goals? I'm like, I want to be able to have me and people that align with me somewhat emotionally get to do this, put food on their table and get to enjoy this lifestyle as long as possible. That's the business goal. That's it. So if things have to happen in the shop and overhead to get you there to get us there, right? The goal is profitable, i.e. it stands on its own. And I don't have to keep dumping money into it because Mm -hmm. there's phases of that. But you know, you're like, but we're almost so if it could spin on its own axis and do it for a long time. There you go. Like Mm -hmm. then it it, maybe I'm just a simpleton. Maybe it should be way more complex than that. But in my opinion, I really love what we have going on and the people who work there, I love that they have that opportunity to do it. So it's like, how do we keep this party going? and do good work for people who want what we do and do it as long as possible. And so everything else is just X's and O's to get there. Right. How do we have a winning season? Hey, you don't really care as long as there's a whole bunch of W's, right? <laughs> like That's right. And then you the ones have, who care are the ones who worry about their ego because they got there a certain way versus just getting there, just getting there. And so sometimes we've had to, I mean, whether it's been marketing and, and I mean, my gosh, the over the, the, the COO position of it is, is so like the operations, holy cow. Like it's, it's mind boggling. Especially for what you do, right. With all that production and installation. Oh, there's certain days you're like, Hey, this is looking good. We're about to dump this cash into a marketing thing. And you're like, Oh, just kidding. The, the sewer went out and we got to buy a new pump for $55,000 and we have to do it today. And you're like, well, there was that. Go buy the pump. There, go buy the pump. Right, right. It's just like that's not something you're like in my business plan. I'm going to make sure that we have the wastewater thing and the detention ponds. You're like, what? But those are the things that will screw you if you don't have figured right. out or a plan in place and someone decisively being able to like call the shot on that. Yeah. And so, like, my skill is generally more of a soft skill. The soft skills and the the feeling of the of the whole thing, and then I have people in place that are like a bit divorced from the feelings and their goal is make sure my feelings and my dreams like shake out yeah. <laughs> like, that they add up. I mean, a lot of people that are building a business run into that situation. So like, how did you find those people? Like, how did you know that person's qualified to do something that I know I'm not qualified to do? Boy, how did you vet that? And then how did you get the, the right? Vetting of that is hard. It's, right. it's something that 
I, I'm generally pretty trusting of people to an extent to like, then if it's like in my wheelhouse, then it's like, Whoa, I, I hold on to that kind of tightly mm-hmm. because there's, there's been not great partners. There's been not great employees. Like that's all the thing you've sure. been in business for 43 years. You, you, You're going to have that. You've had blood. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and in, in one case we had a, a fella that was working for us in production, kind of, kind of tooling up our shop, younger guy who's doing a great job. And I was like, man, we're really impressed with him. Like, where the heck did you learn to do all this? You're a young guy. He's like, Oh my dad, he's a freaking monster. Like, really? He's like, yeah, that cat could do anything. It's like, hmm. So we took him hunting, uh-huh. took both of the father son hunting, just hang out, just wanted to kind of like ask questions. Hey, right. you want to go on a hunting trip? Yeah, sure. I'll hang out. And then you, after a while you start talking and, and realizing some, some people have some pretty amazing skill sets first got him on as a uh, helping us do an uh, online marketing because he knew a ton about keywords and Google ads and all the other stuff. And we paid him $300 a week. That was his budget. <laughs> You're kidding. $300 that a week. That was his budget? $300 a $300 week for Google ads? For Google ads. When was this? 10 years, 12 years, 11 years. Okay. So it's like, that's all we had. Yeah. Like, this is what you got. And he's just like, all right. And which is like, no yeah right no i was gonna say i've got some clients that spend like 30 grand a month on google ads of course like insane amounts of money but what i noticed was he was doing a thousand dollars of work a week for 300 bucks and not complaining because he was like i believe in what you're doing and i want my son to make sure he has a great place to work i Mm -hmm. want his company to be you know good and then after a while you know we'd meet and conversations would get to hey i kind of see some things y'all could do better and i'm like really what would you do and he was like, and then it just slowly built into finally the conversation. He was working for a company, making a bunch of money. He was like, I'm bored to death. It's too easy. There's, it's just, I could, I could retire and I live on a golf course. I could retire and, and I could, I could do 20% effort for the rest of my life and make fine money. He was like, that drives me nuts because I want to fight. I want something that's seemingly impossible. And, this is resonating right now. Right? Yeah. Right. <laughs> and uh he was like, and and he was like, I'd like to to help you guys. And I go, okay. And so we kind of talked through what some of those structuring would be. And um, and I was like, Well, I could pay you this. And he's like, That's about 60% of what I'm making right now. Mm-hmm. I go, That's what I could do. That's what I can pay you. That's what I could do. And he goes, Okay, I'll do it. He goes, Now the deal will be. Within a year or so, I'd like to be paid what I'm paid now, but only if I make it possible to do that. So my my I will come in and make it possible for that to happen. And if it happens, pay me that. And if not, you do what you want. I'll bet on myself. I'll bet on myself. Yeah. And I go. Well, I mean, you got like a guy that like I love that mentality. A safe bet. Yeah. You know, and he spent over the next year and a half. He lived in Beaufort and he spent 274 days in a hotel room in the next year and a half. Drove up for grinder, grinder, grind in his sixties and just married, not married, married kids were all out. Son mm-hmm. was working with us. He's like, Hey, I worked a lot. In my early days. I want to work with beside my son mm-hmm. in my later years. And I want to see my son have a place that's strong place to work. Yeah. You guys have these amazing strong suits and you have some amazing weaknesses. And I think I could bring something to the table. And if not fire me, I'll go. Okay. So what position did he come in? Did you put him in as like a COO, CEO? What, what did he come uh, yeah, in Yeah, kind of an operations manager. Okay. 
operations manager. Now so he, the stuff that he identified potentially for improvement was oh, operational efficiencies or was like the entire thing? Operational efficiencies, like, I mean, just some wild stuff. I mean, like, you know, we, we were, we had a great product and, and a great base of people that followed us, mm -hmm. but we just didn't have the volume. And we, there was just some things we just didn't know. And one of the things was just terrifying. Uh, I mean, we were, we weren't doing well financially. It was just like, we're trying to figure it out, you know? And first thing he's like, he's like, you got to give everybody raises. I'm like, what? <laughs> we have like, this isn't a thing. He's like, your fastest source to cash are the people who already work here. They already bought in. They already know everything. You don't have to hire outside, but you got to motivate them to go slay. So did he, did he identify that they needed to be more motivated more, that they needed a little bit of a push, a little bit of a push and more just a buy-in that something was going to change. That makes a lot of sense. It was, yeah. it was a burn the ships mentality. Mm -hmm. And it was a, it was a, we're going to burn the ships and I'm going to give you the matches to do it. So, so you'll know we're doing it. And so it was terrifying. It was, I like, was going to say that's as an owner, as an owner, you're in, the, you're in it 30 years and someone says like, I know you don't have any money, but you need to give everyone raises. By the way, that doesn't include you. Yeah. You know, and of which course. is fine. You're the one, yeah. you pay yourself last. Well, sure, which yeah. is fine. But you're like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, this better work. <laughs> you know? like, and so just having his insight was super influential, obviously. And just mentorship of a guy who's done a whole lot of other different things and has seen the ups and downs and the fights and the this and the that and you know and 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 he was not from our world which was great what was he uh, you don't have to get into super specifics but what was he doing in general from a position standpoint prior to coming over to you um well in the the past 30 something years he had owned custom house building construction companies okay he, he built bridges he built cell towers for uh in mexico and all over the u.s he so he was not he had an entrepreneur mentality entrepreneur but yeah. but also like like wrote the 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 um oh gosh the uh like all the contracting stuff through this the, these little towns and bowman and olar and stuff like that to get uh, water treatment plants and, and then headed all the whole thing up on building the water treatment plants there from an engineering standpoint, like just like what created his own marketplace. Just, just yeah. Just yeah. created his, yeah. Just understood how to make things go. And then also how to turn the screws to do it, like, or dig the hole to do it too. Yeah. So you get a guy that's a certified welder, build stuff his whole life that also understands how money flows and things like that. And so having someone there that just understood so many pieces and the fun part was he didn't know jack crap about weightlifting, <laughs> but I had to get over that that didn't matter. <clears throat> He's like, that's what you're for. That's what your dad's for. Right. You tell me where we want to get and I'll help us get there. Just you keep coming up with great designs and do the branding side and do like, where, what do you want this thing to look like? And then let me help build the ship and then building under that and, you know, bringing in more manufacturing and just like, so that's been, um, that's been huge. And so it's, you know, everyone gives, you know, uh, probably most people give me the accolades of, Oh, your dad had a business and then you blew it up. Or, you know, I give accolades to my dad because without that, that doesn't, I mean, he started the whole mess. Right. Right. And then you have my COO who came in and just saw it from a different mindset and a different viewpoint and brought things to the table that we had none of, we had everything else in spades, but then, you know, when you have these massive weaknesses, um, 
and you don't know enough to know that you know it. You just know the thing isn't working like it should. How long did it take for that to gain traction and for you to really start to see that big kind of where you were, where you looked at it and went, oh, this is working? I would say within the first year. I mean, the first year or so was was hell. Like mm-hmm. it's hard, hard, hard. I kind of like to say that it's always been hard. I mean, it was hard for the first 30 something years. Um, and it's not ever, it's never been easy. Like I even look, we were in hyper growth for the last eight, you know, for eight years and this tapered off a bit, but we're still growing for a decade now, but it's never been easy. There's no, and that's what I think people have to understand is like, yeah, we grew 50 X in 10 years. Guess what? It was never easy. It's not easy on whatever today is September 14th, 2023. It's not easy today. Mm -mm. There's still like, pull your hair out. You've got to be kidding me moments. Yeah. Like like right now, like, you know, and then what some ways and within the market, we're the bell of the ball. Everyone's like, you guys are killing. Well, define that. I don't know. Have we done a whole lot of work for some really amazing people? And we tend to generally be one of the top choices. Yeah. It doesn't mean it was any easier than it was 10 years ago. It's just different. And that was something that he also told me one day I asked him, I was like, does this ever like get easier? No. Right. It doesn't. And he goes, no, our problems will just have more zeros behind. Them. That's right. He's right. And you're like, Oh, okay. So just brace for impact and just realize that you're going to brace for impact and keep going probably much like football. Right. So when you're a little leaguer, people are still trying to, tackle you and beat you up it's just they're kind of more appropriately sized mm-hmm. they don't stop doing it when you get to college they get bigger and stronger and hopefully you get bigger and stronger yeah. and able to and then when you get to the nfl they're bigger and stronger and you're bigger and stronger and faster so it's kind of like always hard and you just have to kind of i think entrepreneurs and business owners just have to come to that realization and i have to remember it some days well yeah i mean when you're young when you're when you first you have like I see this all over social media, right? Oh, is yeah. this, this entrepreneur, like you can be your own this and you be your own that. And there's a whole different, it's, like, it's like the 40 K <laughs> joke. It's like, dude, this, this make 40 K. Exactly. Oh, make you're 40K. Like, oh you're do like, you want your on. Instagram to have 2 million followers? And then you look at their Instagram and has like 2,500, mm-hmm. right? Okay. Well, how come you're not doing for yourself what you're trying to charge to do for somebody else, but whole, <laughs> whole different story, yeah, whole different story. Right. But I mean, we, we had, we kind of, we owned, we've owned, you know, medical spas, surgery centers, plastic surgery practices, like all this different kind of stuff. And it was for a while when I first started businesses, right. I was always in that same mindset, like, okay, when, when does autopilot kick in? Right. If, and I always kind of thought, okay, when we hit this, sure. then it's going to be on cruise control. And then you'd get there and then you'd be like, okay, I know that we have to do X and Y and Z mm-hmm. and then it's going to hit cruise control. Right. And you do ever, you at a certain point go, it's never going to hit cruise control. You never. Know? And, it, and when you try to check out and make it hit cruise control, that's when your business stagnates because yes. now you're not running it with the same level of intensity that you did to get it to where it is. That is a hundred percent right. It's um, and it's, it's kind of like this. It's kind of sad in some ways because it's like a paradise lost. It's like, Hey, by the way, there is no Santa. <laughs> <laughs> like, like this is going to be kind of bloody and crazy and gnashing mm-hmm. of teeth every day. You're just going to gnash teeth with more <clears throat> zeros behind it. Yeah. And you're probably, what was it? Uh, I think as, as Nelson, my CEO, uh, COO said, hey, he, he said at some, at some point in this whole thing, we're still going to have problems, 
but you're, when you read the menu, you're going to look at the meal first, not the number. Yeah. And it's just like, oh, you'll read it. What was it like left to right instead of right to left? You won't look at what you could afford and see if you mm-hmm. like it. And he goes, that's just kind of the difference, right? Yeah. Like, it'll be, there'll be a problem there, but you'll know that it's not going to wreck your company. It's not. Gonna it's just a problem you have to wreck solve your life. Yeah. yeah. And he, I heard Arnold say that I was in a, a board meeting with him for the Arnold classic one time. And, and he said, he goes, there are no problems. They're, they're just challenges. Yeah. And it was like, all right. Okay. So just realize that it's kind of like in the NFL guys are going to try to tackle you every play. Yeah. That's the game. Like <laughs> it's going to suck a lot of days. Yeah. Like, that's the goal, right. The goal is just to make it suck less through you believing in what you're doing. Mm-hmm. There's some laughs and some fun time and some, some high points in there. And then every once in a while, when you get a respite, maybe you get a respite with a better view out your backyard. Yeah. Or very, maybe you get a respite at, in, Italy instead of uh, <laughs> instead, instead of Myrtle Beach, in, yeah, in Florence, Italy instead of Florence, South Carolina. <laughs> Pick your Florence. <laughs> Every yeah. once in a while, Santa can come though. I will tell you, yes. like the the three different times that we've sold the businesses we built has been Christmas morning, right? Right. I've, I've never experienced that. That well, you may never because you, you're in something you love, right? But like I, what I found myself doing, like I love building. Mm-hmm. I am not an operator. Right. I don't like operating. And so everything that we've built, we've gotten to a certain point. And then we've always gotten to this point where, okay, do we want to expand this and keep making it bigger? Or do we want to sell it and go do something where we see a different opportunity? And that's kind of what we've more always done. Space. Yeah, more space. And so I've always kind of evolved from, you know, doing this to doing this and then now teaching people how to do it. Um, huge. But I really liked the Christmas morning piece. Yeah. Just because all the stuff that you'd sit there, you've been worrying about for 10 years or 15 years, you literally are just walking away. It goes away for a minute. Yeah. <laughs> it goes away for a minute and you just breathe. Right. <sighs> and then you have this period of time where you're like, this is amazing. And then the same thing that made you do it from the beginning mm-hmm. makes you do it again yeah. because that's how you're built. That's and that's built. who you are. Yes. Mm-hmm. That's a beautiful way to put it. And, and I'll be honest, there's a little bit of envy there. Because it's in some ways, Sornex is so inextricably linked to me and someone in my DNA. <laughs> it's kind of like, you remember the last scene in Moby Dick where like Ahab is like tied to the whale? <laughs> <laughs> he finally caught the whale and he's, he's forever tied to it, right? <laughs> um, you know, and so there's a bit of that. So some, I mean, I have friends that are kind of maybe don't know it. They're like, so what's your exit strategy? I'm like, what do you mean? My kids. Yeah. And they're like, yeah. no, seriously, like, when are you going to sell it? Like right <laughs> off in the sunset, I get, I'm like, like they're speaking Greek. I'm like, right. I've never I, thought I about that I've in my never, life. And they're like, you've never thought about that. And I'm like, should I have? And so partly one of the kind of strategies was uh, probably 10 years ago, have after having this conversation was, okay, build the business somewhat to sell. And it doesn't mean I want to sell it. But I, I figured out if I build it and we build it to where it could be sold, it will inherently have more value. Right. And it will inherently be running better. And then you still have the option if you ever want to sell it, which is not 
yeah. with the goal, but it's better to have the option than not. Right. And if you have a business that people want to buy, then it probably is doing pretty well and you're not missing meals. No question. So that was just, <laughs> and gift. your view gets pretty good too. Yeah. Your view gets yeah. pretty good, but the, that was never the mindset. The mindset was like almost like a subsistence level. Like we got to keep this thing going, like yeah. whatever. And it's like, hold on a minute. Like if you're not in the thrive mindset and the growth mindset, then you're, you're literally dying. And it's kind of like, like working out, you know, you're either getting stronger or you're getting weaker. One of the two are happening you're, mm -hmm. because it's just, it does, it, you don't stay the same. Yeah. And, and so it's like my training right now are just kind of showing up at the gym because yep. there's definitely eras in my life where like I, I put in work, but I know I didn't get stronger mm -hmm. or more fit. It was just kind of just pumping the brakes of sliding down the hill. I just yeah. slowed down my decrease, mm -hmm. you know, and, and as you get older, I mean, that's kind of the, 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 you know, kind of how, what you're dealt anyway. But there are definitely ways you could ramp it back up. And so that's kind of keeping that mindset. Have you have you read the book Predictable Success? Who wrote that? Because the title yeah. sounds familiar. Boy, I can't remember. Um, bad with names. But it was interesting because he talked about the seven phases of a business. And yeah. it was like the startup and the fun phase where like everything is awesome. Yeah. You're putting points on the board. And this is just like, <laughs> this, is, the amazing. Ever, this is gonna be amazing. This is amazing. <laughs> I'm sure you've you've thrived in those eras as well. And then there's the whitewater phase where it's like you're you're too big to be little and too little to be big. And yep. like you better get this figured, figured <laughs> out because the infrastructure has a change. Like your success has become your your detriment because now you the system can't handle the success. That's honestly, that's what like my business is now. Like my business came, it was organic. Like people mm -hmm. were in that phase and saw what we had done and just started calling. Right. And going, how'd you do that? So you're getting people from Whitewater into exactly. predictable success. Right. They've kind of done what they can do on their own. They're good at what they do, but they don't know how to get through the Whitewater and they've just created their own nightmare. Right. And they think this is the worst thing ever. Like, I'm never going to get through this. But they don't realize, like you said, on the other side of that, you're, they're close. Yes. And that's what the book talks about. They said predictable success is basically the equivalent of stepping on the gas in a car and it goes. So you have all the systems in place and mm -hmm. you, then you could focus on the gas versus the sky is falling every day. Yeah. And they said what a lot of entrepreneurs do, they get they get cold feet. And then they and especially employees start saying, we should go back to how it was before because it was they they viewed fun phase as success. Yeah, that was success. So they yeah. back off and they change things and they go backwards and they get back into fun and everyone's happy for a minute. But what happens? They become they have more success and it pushes them right back into white water and they bounce between <laughs> white water and fun and they literally kill their business slowly because they keep moving the back to the left mm -hmm. in the phase versus pushing through white water into predictable success. It was it was an interesting book. What did it say about how to push through it into predictable success? Generally systems. Yeah. Processes systems, and systems. Processes yeah. and systems. And one of the big pieces was um, a lot. Sometimes it was a changing of the guards because the owners, operators, and founders were a lot of times the problem mm -hmm. because they, their passion and their everything is what <clears throat> got them into fun. Yeah. Also pushed them into whitewater and then they can't get out of their own way in whitewater. You know, what's super interesting about that. The, that's, so the majority of the people that I work with, I try to work with younger people sure, because they're very open to change mm -hmm. and they haven't like bought into their own success yet. Right. They're smart enough to recognize they got where they are because they're talented, but they realize they know what they don't know. 
the people who have been doing it for 20 years it's a tough one and have been probably in whitewater for a really really long time as much whitewaters are in even if you go in and you say a b and c is going to get you out of this they're like but i do it this way right like okay you've been doing it for 15 years has that done anything for you right but they'll literally argue with you about it yeah to the point yeah. where now i profile the people that i choose to work with wow. because those people will they they do not allow themselves to be successful it's unbelievable yes. yeah i mean hey i've seen it i mean heck i've been there you know and because what happens is that owner founder whatever they're in whitewater but their tail of the tape is still in fun yeah so they're like no but we did this 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 and this exactly and you're like yeah you this were is a, how i got here you were a different business then you're in fun when when you're putting shots on the board everyone's down with you the industry loves you you're coming up everyone's mm -hmm. pumped about it well yep. now you're, you're the shiny new penny you're the shiny new penny and now you have to do real business yeah and i mean heck i was there like and that was one of those things that the my ceo helped me out with it was like we we were kind of we were in whitewater and you know and you kind of he's like hey these things need to change and it was like stressful because you're telling a 25 year old 30 year old business at that time like we need to change some things like yeah but we've done you know these guys and super bowl champs and these da, 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 and like all this stuff it's like well then why are you still having problems right why is it still hard you know? yeah and um and then you know even looking at well let's hire a marketing company and it's like no we do our marketing no one knows us like us you know <laughs> let's let's you know i mean we it was it's so absurd you think about it now it's like we need to do have uh install managers no sales guys do it because they worked on the job and they know what it is and they mm -hmm. have a relationship with the customer da, 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 da. No one's ever going to be able to do as good as we are. Really? Yeah. Like, yeah. Has there been problems? Sure. But those guys get spooled up. Everyone's on the same page. And, mm -hmm. and it is so funny. I like can almost every facet of the business, like there was definitely some holding on. And then once we did, might've been shaky at first, might've even had the wrong people on the bus. Yeah. You have to switch those people. I out. mean, dude, that's a big part of it too, right? Is like when you change the process, you also have to make the right people on the bus. Cause, yeah. cause they're used to the old process and some people come along and go, yes, right. this is the way, but some people will fight you kicking and screaming and you've got to have the courage to be like, I know you did an amazing job for us during fun, but if you can't recognize that this is a direction we're going, then the timing isn't like, right. we're and not the right place we, to be together anymore. That is huge. It's almost like a, I would believe it was an exodus when they're being brought uh out in the desert and they're like oh this is horrible isn't it and they're like let's go back to where we were and they're like yeah. hey remember where we were then like the persecution like come on man and he's like yeah but all right the unknown is scary right and you'd almost rather sometimes go with the slavery you knew versus the unknown yeah and and you see it i mean i've, I've seen it heck i've seen it this week you know guys are like well we always and it's like heck i've done it and, and, it, and it and it never stops like everyone has to kind of be like rechecked at all times because you're you're exactly right and sometimes some people have to be removed and it's not because they're bad people they're just not culturally fit for where you're that's going. exactly right yeah you know, i uh, see that all the time yeah i was i was talking with uh keith powers who's a um he was at university of, he was a uh, cal berkeley uh years ago when we did a job out there and he was a performance director and he said the, the two most important things for athletics as well as just any organization. And he came from Europe and was an Olympian, the whole deal. He says the two things, he said it was mental toughness. Can you do the hard things when you don't want to? Can you, 
can you put up with things that just that just resolve that right? suck the yeah. resilience right? yeah number two was cultural fitness he goes art are you fit to be in the organization that you're currently in? He said, those are the two things, the lack of that will remove people faster than anything. And I saw, I thought it was so interesting. He talked about cultural fitness. I'm like, what do you mean? He goes at Berkeley, there's a certain type of athlete that needs to be here, a certain type of person, whatever. Now you take someone from a, a the culture of Nebraska and throw them at Berkeley. They're probably gonna have a bad experience. It's mm -hmm. not that they're a bad player. They just may or may not jive with that whole thing yeah and so and i look at it in businesses too like hey this this person just and maybe the culture is wrong maybe that person's right and the culture is not fit for him so it could go both ways yeah and so i just always remember that he was like boiled it down to two things mental toughness cultural fitness so that's if you get those things dialed he's like you got a chance i believe that that's i mean that makes a ton of sense and it applies to the stuff that i do too i mean it's totally well i mean the credit obviously the fact that you were willing to recognize that and go and do something that was very uncomfortable mm -hmm. is, you know, that's why you are where you are. It's uncomfortable every day. Yeah. Well, <laughs> it's, it's every you want to be an like, entrepreneur? <laughs> Welcome to the world. Oh right. My gosh. That's how it goes. It's crazy. <laughs> it, it's honestly not like people that have been hyper successful. I'm just, I'm still in awe. Oh, I do that too. Of things mm -hmm. That people have like, wow, you really <clears throat> figured that out and got that dialed and, I don't think there's been ever an escalator to the top for anybody, mm -mm. even though it maybe looks like it at times, there's these big jumps, you know? Yeah. But I think usually those jumps, at least from what I've seen is always like what you did. It's like, it's finding somebody to plug into the organization that knows how to do the thing that you haven't figured out how to do yet. Yes. Right. That's what, what makes the next big jump in your organization right. in most cases. Right. Or it's an accumulation of a, of a level and is a quantity of quality work that's mm -hmm. maybe just been unseen. And so we talk about like that 10 year rule, whether it's football, track and field, hunting, like whatever yeah. it be. The overnight success. Right. The overnight the, the, the two <laughs> the, decade under overnight success. Yeah. Yeah. How, how to build a world-class brand in 30 years. <laughs> <laughs> that's usually what it's like. Yeah. And, oh, you guys just blew up. Well, blew we've up. been around since the eighties. So yeah. People all say this, dude, y'all blew up. I'm thinking, gosh, like, yeah, we've, we've been around since 80. Yeah. Like that's, I guess you could say, cool that you think right. that. That means you've kind of bought in. I right. Guess. Like, but, you know, and you look back and I, what I kind of realized through multiple means that everyone I know that is like what I would consider successful to hyper successful, they're we're all doing the same thing 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. All of them. Now, they might just be known for it now, but you look back, I mean, like you talk about the, arguably one of the most successful and influential people on the planet, Joe Rogan, mm -hmm. you, you get talking to him. You're like, Oh, right. You were, yeah, he's, of course he's calling every, he's a podcast. Like, yeah, but he was working at fear factor yep. 25 <laughs> years ago. Like he was, his, his chops were there for, for announcing and, and yeah. interviewing and having great mm -hmm. conversations. And you're like, Oh, he's doing jujitsu and stuff at the UFC. He was instructing uh, jujitsu and Taekwondo and stuff like that in the nineties, you know, he was been a black belt in whatever, since the nineties, mm -hmm. you know, and you look, you're like, Oh, right. Like, great. He got a hundred million dollar job or deal at, at Spotify. His body of work has been going for 30 years. Right. No one gave a crap about what that guy was talking about 20 years ago. Mm -mm. It was interesting. Yeah. You know, and now you're like, Oh, right. Cause you just stayed with what you, and you became like an ex a ninja at what you do. 
And that's the stuff that excites me because then I look at the other way and go, you kind of start like speculating. You're like, Oh, that person's doing something different and interesting. Where's he going to be in 10 years? Mm -hmm. Like that's the one to keep your eye on because no one knows anything about that person yet. They're just that interesting person doing something in 10 years. They're your next Jocko Willink, Cam Haynes, like whoever that is, Mm -hmm. because all those cats were doing the same thing. Yeah. Everything they're known for now, they were doing 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. They just, no one knew it or cared yet. Yeah. There wasn't enough reps. There wasn't enough. And so that's where I look like even anything I'm good at. I'm good at very few things and the things I'm good at, I'm pretty good at them. But everything I've done at least 10 years. And I was like, oh, that's my thing. I'm just, I'm passionate enough to do it for a long time. And I'm resilient enough to keep doing it. And get good at it. And get good at it. Right. It doesn't make me a ninja. It just means I've shot a boat (laughs) 8 million times. I've lifted a gazillion weights. Like, I was going to say, I know. keep showing up. I know you got, you've got like a time limit, but I, before, like, I want to talk about your mule deer hunt. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I love, I do love, (laughs) I love the business conversation though. Cause that's like, when I started this, a big part of it for me was exploring a lot of things honestly for me it was just what am i interested in sure you know and a lot of it's personal a lot of it's how do you get from here to here because i've got a a pretty you know my journey has been very different as i've gotten older and i've gone through kind of like you i've kind of done these ebbs and Mm. you know i've kind of on one of these upswing things yeah um congratulations as an old old man yeah (laughs) i mean it's super cool like i don't it doesn't need to be glossed over that you've done so many whether it's business or football or coaching or mentorship and that you continue to reinvent yourself, but all in the same vein, which is observation, strategy, reps, passion for it. Mm-hmm. And you keep doing it and, and not doing it as a young man, you're not old, but like that you have the passion to go like, Hey, I'm going to take up hunting. I'm going to do this podcast. I'm going to do like, that is super mm-hmm. inspiring because that that's, the type of man I want to be like, I want to die a young man a long time from now. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And and that's just like, how, how do I want to be continually excited about the, the strat, the, the voyage ahead. And it, and it's really cool to watch you and like send me texts, ask all these questions. And they're like, (laughs) I don't want to bother you. I'm like, no, this is awesome. Like that you're passionate enough that you're asking questions and that you found someone that could hopefully be helpful. That's huge. Like that's the, Mm-hmm. that's the point of life in many ways oh no there's no question but it's it is like that like when you're it, it it is very much like when i was 20 years old or 21 years old and i was a super young coach now there's no text messaging back then right sure. we were all in a room yeah but i would just bug the living hell out of the o-line coach right and then yeah. i i got to be really good friends with this guy who ended up being uh my mentor and eventually in football and he he was he just retired a couple of years Who's ago. That? Uh, his name's Pat Rule, but he was he was the offensive line coach for Pete Carroll at Southern Cal, cool. and then at the Seahawks. Um, he was with the Packers for a while. But the way I met him was I was at Carolina coaching. I was a young coach. He was the offensive coordinator at Kansas. They wanted to learn about this passing game that we're running, the shallow cross passing game, which everyone does now, but back then it was unique, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Brad Scott had brought it from Florida State. So they, they brought their whole staff in to learn about it. And our staff spent like about five hours with them and then said, Hey, there's a bunch of film, watch as many cutups as you want, you know? And they went back to coaching their team and the guys on our staff were like, Hey, Eric, like hang around and help them with whatever they need. And then they ended up keeping me in the room for two days being like, Oh, how do you read this? And what are you doing here? 
right? And I learned it through the guys that I know. And so I ended up developing this relationship with him. He's the guy that really taught me a line play better than anybody. Wow. You know, and I was doing what I'm doing to you right now on the phone constantly. Yeah. Like, hey, I'm I'm running the inside zone. I can't get the tackle to like make this cut off on the backside. What are you doing with this front side foot? Right. And that's so like cool. what that's how I learned it, you know. Yeah. yeah. It was that way. Well, that's what we kind of but that's what I feel like. I feel like a 20-year-old kid bugging the crap out of you. <laughs> well, and, and if you see the outgoing text that I have to other guys in the industry, it's like, you know, like the John Dudleys and guys like that. I'm just mm-hmm. like, I'm asking questions all the time because they got more reps than I do. Yeah. And it's like, I have a lot of reps, but he has more reps and I'm interested. Like, yeah. tell me what this or Derek Woodski when it comes to training, like he and I are the same age, but while I was building weightlifting equipment, he was, you know, under some of the tutelage of some of the best strength coaches in the world. And he's was going down that deep rabbit hole. So it's like, yeah, I fire. I, I, I annoy so many people out there with so many text messages and questions. Well, that makes me feel better. Oh, yeah. It's, it's, <laughs> it's great. It's, it's, there's cause, but that's passion, right? I, mean, mm-hmm. I actually, my coach in college used to get mad at me because I'd ask so many questions and he thought I was kind of like, like questioning him. Yeah. You know, you're I, trying to learn. I was just trying to learn. Right. This is where I wanted to go in life. So he was just like, just freaking do it. And I'm like, I, listen, I'm not being, I got mad. I'm like, I'm not being disrespectful. I'm just really interested. All right. Like I'm just asking because I'm trying to learn. He's like, oh, okay. Like, I think the, I think the reason people sometimes get freaked out by that is because most people's ego keeps them from asking questions. Right. You know, which what I found interesting is in this hunting community is that that now, I don't know, maybe it's just because I found really good people. But it seems like the people that I run into this in this community are not like that. Like yeah. they understand mentorship. Sure. They, they are all doing had the, to have a mentor. Right. Yeah. You know, no one just figures it out. So it, it seems different a little mm-hmm. bit to a certain extent. Yeah. But that, that, that is generally to an extent. Um, I'm sure there's guys with huge egos that I just uh, don't know. That is you know. zero question. There, There's guys with huge, huge egos and there's guys that, that, they feel like they have to be the guy that kills the biggest whatever or whatever. And, and because their image relies on it. And yeah. I mean, and sometimes their business does, I mean, they might be sponsored by all these companies <laughs> and if they're not killing really big stuff, that these companies aren't interested. So, you know, that's a, a little bit of a fear of me working in that outdoor industry. Cause I never want to <laughs> get to that spot. Like people have wanted to work with me in different ways and I've felt it. I'm like, Oh man, like I can't go on too many more mule deer hunts and not score. Like, <laughs> You know, it's kind of like, I'm a football coach. Yeah, but you never won a game. You're like, yeah, but I love football. You that know? was your fourth one? Like, fifth. So I didn't know this. What's the story behind that? Okay, so, I mean, I had been invited by Kip Falks, um, co-founder of Under Armour, mm-hmm. uh, a friend of mine. And he started the whole Under Armour hunt line, everything like that. He's the one that signed on Cameron Haynes as the yep. first athlete ever at Under Armour. Like, he's a, he's an OG. And so he we became friends after he got out of Under Armour. And then he was kind of tracking me and Sornex outdoors and he was like one of the first guys was like dude this is a thing like like you really need to do something with it like i'll help out if you need to and uh, what he did which was really cool he he budgeted like a lot of money a year personal money mm-hmm. to take people hunting okay and i go why'd you do that he goes because for a ten thousand dollar hunt i could hang out with you for a week and i know everything i need to know about you are you prepared do you keep a good attitude do you keep going when it gets hard do you make stupid decisions? Are you a good person to hang around in camp? He's like, anyone could fake it for a golf outing. You can't fake hunt camp for a week. Mm-hmm. He's like, you're either good or you're not. 
or you're willing to learn, or are you tired and you want to sleep in on day three because you've walked 10 miles a day the first two days and now you're getting frustrated because you missed a buck. So is that how he was, he was using that yeah. to a certain extent to evaluate who he wanted to be business partners with? Yeah. Yeah. He, he yeah. was like, he was like, I'll spend a couple hundred thousand dollars a year to, to know who I want to deal with, who I want to work with. When you sell Under Armour, you can do that, right? Yeah. You can do what you want. Yeah. So that's that, super smart though. Super smart. Like super smart. Yeah. And he was like, and I get to go on hunts. I get to enjoy new people, learn stuff. And he goes, but I know what companies I want to invest in. I know what people I want to invest in. I know people who are fake. Mm-hmm. He's like, it's great. It's cheap. <laughs> and I was like, gosh, dog, that's pretty cool. That's pretty smart. Yeah. So he invited me on a, a mule deer hunt. Had you ever been on a mule deer I hunt had, before? It was one of those dreams. This okay. was like five years ago in Arizona, big Chino outfitters and like uh green tree was Adam green tree was with us. And so like, there's some hitters in mm-hmm. the industry. I'm like, man, I'm going to get a hunt with some, some dogs, some you know? bombs. Yeah. yeah. And so, you know, it didn't work out. got really close, learned a lot, got my nuts kicked in. Like, just like, okay, this is a different animal out here, but you know, it was like, okay, this is something I want to do. And so I've went to, gone to big Chino a couple other times and it's, it's a 2% success rate hunt. If you're self-guided it's public land, high desert mule deer, archery spot and stock. There's very few things in the continental United States that are hard, is harder to do. So did you do them all self-guided? Like did, no, was so the one that you went 2% with? is, is self. Oh, if it's self-guided, it's 2%. When you okay. go with big Chino who are wonderful guides, they said they could get you to about 20%. So you're 10 times better chance but, but you're it's still, still one in five one in five yeah and that's a weak hunt and is that that's 20 percent on one shot right that's 20 percent you kill oh that, that you that, kill that's you okay kill, like success okay you know? but they also deem it a success if you get within 100 yards of a buck of a shooter <laughs> and so they kind of tell you like i showed it the first day and they go uh they're like well what's your what's your shot uh, comfort and i go i'd like to get within 30 yards but and the kind of guide kind of looks at me and I'm like, uh, but 50 will probably work. And he's like, cool. And then like later that day, green tree killed a buck at 72 and another guy killed one at like 79. And I'm like with a bow. And I'm like, what are y'all people doing? They're like, you know, welcome to the West. Like you better be able to roll. Wow. And I'm like, Oh, and they go, yeah. So those things jump like oh, white could, tail. Like, are they not, as jumpy? They, or they not? Don't, they, they're jumpy in the way that they get, they get attacked by mountain lions all the time. Yeah. So they're big ears. They're, mm-hmm. they're sitting in a desert that's crinkly to walk on. They're on edge all the time. And so they're hard to sneak up on. And, and I mean, there's just, it's a hard, hard jumpy animal. So they tell you, they're like, if we get you within a hundred, we consider it a good stock. It's on you after that. You got to get in like, there and if get you the could, shot. If you could get in the red zone and get it done, like that's out of our stance. Like mm-hmm. we've done our job, Yeah, you know? And so you start understanding like, okay, I have to step up my game. Yeah. Like this 30 yard whitetail Eastern shot is like <laughs> a joke. This ain't happening. <laughs> so that's what got me really more into archery. I'd go hunter for 15, 20 years at a time. Mm-hmm. And this was like, you better step up your game. You better get better equipment. You better really learn how to use it. You better be taking far shots, like constantly learning this whole thing. So it just, it, it leveled me up. And that was just five years ago. Five years ago. Okay. And so I, I went to Chino another two times got really close both times. I mean, within 40 yards of shooters both times. And, but you, it's kind of like the red zone in football. Like you could be within 15 of the goal line. A lot of stuff could still happen. Like yeah. It's not a, it's not a seven for sure. It's not, right. a, it's not a six point deal for sure. It doesn't mean you're even getting to the one to get it in. It doesn't there. mean jack. Yeah, that's right. right. It, a million things could happen. And, and the deer get a vote. 
like he gets a vote on the whole thing. (laughs) (laughs) And so you start realizing that. So anyway, I, I, I went to Wyoming one time and in every one of my hunts, I'd gotten so close, like to the point where it's like, you start kind of thinking like, all right, I'm just not meant to do this. Like this animal just has my number. I can't figure this. I can't figure this out. Like I, other mule deer are for other people. Like these are just, so you were getting close. You were getting within shooting range. You just couldn't get a shot or you'd bump. They'd get spooked. They'd get, get bumped spooked, and the wind would swirl. Yeah. They'd blow out. Okay. You know, I missed one at 50. I, sorry. I missed one at 72 and at 69, one went under one went over. I mean, it's just like everything that could have happened has happened. I, I was at full draw and an absolute giant at 42 yards and at 22 yards, there's a, there's a little tree between he and I that I just can't shoot through. Like I picked the one spot, <laughs> the, you know, the one spot. and then he saw me blew out. Like, it was just like, Oh my gosh, this is like impossible. No, this isn't, this is inhuman for someone to be able to do uh-huh. this stuff, Right. So I kept on, kept on. I got invited to go to Utah this year and I'm like, and so my buddy tells me, he's like, Hey, just so you know, I'm thinking, okay, going to Utah, new spot, super well-known area where we're going to, we're going to crush. Mm-hmm. And then I hear that Utah had their worst snow kill of deer in the last generation. They said they, some people said they lost 90% of their deer herd. 90%. They had a giant snow right outside of Salt Lake. So the snow was like 10 or 15 feet deep. So the deer couldn't get the food. Right. So all the big bucks who were done rutting, they were all worn down. They had a high metabolic, higher metabolic rate. Starve. To stay starved. So they lost, they're like, we lost most of our shooters. I was like, oh, mm. now we just made something that was really hard. Really, 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 hard. really, right? really hard. Jeez. Uh, and then he told me, he was like, yeah, they got a bad kill this year. And he's like, also last year we had five or six guys in cam and hunted and one guy killed. So I'm like, okay, we're back to 20%. Yeah. We're back to that on a good year. Now we have the snow kill year. Mm-hmm. Great. But you know, you get invited to go, you go, you go, right? you go. So it was, I went into it. I said, the only thing I could control is my controllables. I have to be in shape. I have to be ready to shoot. And that was the whole shoot to eat thing. That was the training. That was all. I was like, if I could clean up all my variables and I get an opportunity, I have to be able to, to close. Like this isn't a thing. I can't leave anything up to chance. It's already too low of a percentage. And uh, the first day we got in, and what's the terrain like for those? The terrain there... seven thousand elevation, hilly, sagebrush, low sagebrush, very few trees, some some bigger kind of like uh, maple trees and bushy maple trees, some some junipers, rocks and shale and just crap. Nasty hot. I mean, it's, it's in late <laughs> August, so it's you know it's it hot, 80, 90 degrees. Yeah. You're walking, you know, that hunt isn't too bad or maybe seven to eight miles a day, but 7,000 elevation. You're not taking a big pack. Um, you're just taking like a little uh, camelback mm-hmm. kind of pack, super light. Okay. So uh, you basically you go out, you go to a high spot, you set up on your, your uh, binoculars, you start just scanning a mile in every direction and you're just looking for you're just glasses. pieces of deer. Okay. You know, and you see a horn sticking out at, 800 yards under this and you're like watching 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 finally he stands up you're like good deer bad deer not bad but like you know is he old enough we're shooting age not size like okay he's a he's a mature deer he happens to be 155 inches ish is that a deer you want to go after he's mature let's let's put a stalk on Mm -hmm. so then you assess which way the wind's going what does he look like he's feeding right now probably better just to let him bed back down. The sun gets real hot. So basically you're letting him bed down under a tree 
knowing that as the sun, as the earth rotates and the sun moves, he'll probably get up two to three hours later when the sun gets on his back. So right. that's kind of your stopwatch starts. So you're like, mm-hmm. now we got him. He's 2000 yards out, figure out your stalk plan, watch your wind, mark the deer somehow off of strategy and terrain. And you got two hours to get within bow range of him, hopefully getting there before he stands up. And when he stands up, you need to be within 40 or 50 of them and, and put an arrow in his vitals. Like that's your game, which is super fun. <laughs> like, it's, it's awesome. It so, sounds pretty amazing. It's super awesome. And so usually we'll find, we'll find that, we'll find that deer and then we'll get somebody else on the glass and they'll sit up on the high spot. I put a radio in my ear and they'll walk us in like a football play mm, and which is okay. super fun in itself. But sometimes you just, they, they lose sight of the deer and they're like, Hey, you're on your own. You're blind. Like, yeah. You just kind of got to know what's going on. Hence what's makes it so freaking difficult. Right. It sounds hard. as Yeah. Hell. Yeah. So we end up first day we got on these two bucks. They'd already scouted them this summer. They found them in these big bowls and they're like, we know there's these two shooters live in this area and that's what you pay the guy for. Right. Mm-hmm. He, he's doing the homework. He knows in, what's there. 250,000 acres. He knows where 25 bucks are Yeah, or where they generally are. We got up there first day, boom, big three by three big five by four. Hey, which one do you like? Whichever one's offers the best strategy. One beds down. We do the big loop. We come up, we get 45 yards from him. And you just see these points sticking out over the sage. And it's just like, this is day one stock one. You're like, Holy crap. We're, I mean, 45 yards is red zone for me. It's like, this is, he stands up, he's dead. Like Mm -hmm. this is going to finally work. Like finally freaking work. This is (laughs) wild. You know? And I stay, sat on my knees in the dirt for two and a half hours in the sun. And just, just waiting for and him just to stand waiting. up. And you would just watch his head. You'd watch him like head would go down, like he would come nod off to sleep and mm. he'd pop back up and he'd hear something, he'd move his. So you're just watching and so you're like making a rhythm with this animal. You're like living through his eyes in some way. You're like, oh, he's feeling this right now. He's, he's, he's agitated. He's doing this. There's bugs on. Like you're starting to just really dial in. Mm-hmm. And so my guide was like, hey, man, when he stands up, get your bow back killing like okay well that was a more of a semi-directive versus you know you have to watch which direction he's facing so as he's standing up i go ahead and draw back and he just happens to be facing me as he's standing up he just locks eyes with me and they say like as much horn as you could see is how much body you'll be able to see when they stand up so if we saw the tips that means when he stands up i could just see the top of his back Okay. So I needed to know that, which I didn't know. So you learn. Mm-hmm. And so he stood up, chest was still covered and he and I have a face off. And so I stayed at full draw on the video for two and a half minutes at full draw and just him staring at me. And I'm just sitting there and I, not that I would have shot him at that point, but I just didn't want to let down because I'm, he knew something was up, but he couldn't figure it out. Right. So I'm sitting there. My guy's like, dude, you okay? I'm like, no, I'm like I'm smoked. I'm smoked right now. You know, and <laughs> both shoulders are starting to spasm. And I'm like, I gotta let down in a minute. I got it. He's like, Yeah, just do what you gotta do, man. So I like I like kind of laid down in the grass and let back down. You uh-huh. know? And I was just like, he was like, All right, if you get ready to shoot, I was like, I, I can't move right now. Like, give me a second. Like, I'm done. So he sees us, bounces off, and we're like, man, you know, and part you part of you is like, okay, that was my opportunity this week. Like, yeah, that, you're thinking that, that was that it. was my that was my one that was done. my 20%, right? We stand up, we walk a little ways. That three by gets up, 
he's a hundred yards away. We make a stock, we get him in 50. I'm like, Oh my gosh. Where so we? the other one was just a hundred yards away. Yeah. They were just bedded down and two. And I'm like, <laughs> you've got to be kidding me. Just like he happened to get up out of his bed at the same time. Uh-huh. He happened to not see us. We got in on him. He's at 50 yards. I'm like, he's dead. He sits down. Oh, jeez. Here like, we go again. I, yeah. I look at my guy. I go, how long do you think he's going to be down? He's like, it's going to be a while. And I'm like, I can't do another two and a half hours sitting in the sun. Just my knees are killing me. My back's killing me. I'm dehydrated. Like I'm a sissy at this point. I'm like, dude, I'm about to drive <laughs> going crazy. I was like, circle around him and throw some rocks at him or something. Make some noise. <laughs> like make him stand up. He's like, that's not a bad idea. So he circles around downwind and starts making these like, meh, meh, like, like little kissy sounds like a, like a rabbit dying. Uh-huh. Sees and I could see the deer's head turning. I was like, Oh, he's standing up. He's dead. Nothing happens. I'm like, about 30 minutes later, I'm like, well, I see a bush in front of me. I'm going to slip in a little bit closer to him. I'm in the middle of slipping into him. I get here on the radio, shoot him, shoot him, shoot him, shoot him. I'm look up and the deer's up. You on your knees right now? You're crawling. I'm on all fours okay. crawling. And where's your bow? In front. In your of hand me. or on your in back? My, in, in my okay. hand. Yeah. Well, he decided he will throw a rock at him. Mm-hmm. He crawled forward to pick up a rock. Well, as he's crawling, I'm crawling. We didn't look at each other to see what the other guy's doing. Neither one of us thought that other one was going to make a stupid move. Mm-hmm. He threw the rock. The deer stood up perfectly. Had I been watching, he'd been dead. And as that goes back to just like, you're in the red zone. Communication was bad. Yeah. You know, he zigged. I should have zagged. When there's, and you're just like, so then I'm looking at, okay, two cherry opportunities done and so, so he blew him out he blew he watched me and then so okay. i popped up my head he saw me and then he's it was gone done, you know okay. and i was just like this sucks second day nothing all day and i'm like oh that was my shots and i just blew them right i got a full week we went 20 something miles away we found another buck feeding in this bowl and we're like okay i'm gonna put a stalk on that night like nope it's too late we don't have time let's watch him mark him come back the next morning we came back the next morning he was within 200 yards where we saw him the night before. It's like, oh, this is done. Stalked in 30 yards from him. No wind. So you kind of want some wind because then you have a directional scent thing mm-hmm. and you have noise coverage. So we got 30 yards from him, just about to get into a clear shot angle. My guide steps on a bunch of dry leaves. Deer blows out. I'm like, oh, here we go. And so my guys are about two miles away. They're on a ridge top. They're like, hey, that deer just blew out. And they're like, hold on he's going around and he went about a thousand yards around this valley because he heard us didn't see us or smell us that's the only thing that saved us okay so so we ran up the valley and we're watching him and he's like running with his mouth open like getting the heck out of there he beds down under this tree and we're like oh game's back on like because he's 500 yards across this valley but we could see him plain as day Mm -hmm. he's right there so we walk around a mile around the back end of him and get downwind of him we mark him off this one aspen tree that had these like yellow tops so when we got in we're like okay we're gonna do this 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 anyway long story short we we creep in and you know you're you, you can't see much. So you're creeping like a micro step and then you're just glassing, trying to find something micro step. Cause we know we're like, we have to be within 50 yards of him. Like he's a, he's, he could feel us at this distance, but you're not sure where he is right but now. But you're not sure where he is. Okay. And so you're just walking it and you're looking under every little tree. And then finally at like 40 yards guy looks at me, he's like, you know, got him. So we were on our radios. Three taps means I see him. He's like, I heard tap, tap, tap. And I'm like, and he's like, does this. And so just the tip, like two inches of his antler is sticking out of the grass and he, mm-hmm. just, he sees him. So once you get eyes on, at least there's a play, right? Yeah. So we're trying to do the angles. Like how do we sneak in on him with all these bushes in the way? 
And so we sneak in, we get the 36 yards and there's a hole about the size of a grapefruit between me and him that like, if he stood up, you could shoot. Now the rifle, you're good. Bow, the arc of the arrow, there's too many things that could go wrong. So I'm thinking like my strategy was like, I'm just going to hang here and let the deer get up and move one way or the other. And the guide's like, man, there's too many places he could go that if he takes one step, he's out of play. So he starts creeping in. I'm like, and we've already talked. He's like, these deer have like six sensibilities if it's 40 yards and in. Like, you don't want to get in closer than he's like, you want to shoot at 40, don't give it a chance. I'm like, we're at 36 and he's going in. I'm like, this guy's going to blow this deer out here. There's no way. He creeps for like the next 15 or 20 minutes and gets to what I consider rent 20. I'm like, 20 yards is right there. <laughs> That's your top 10, right? He's on top of He's him. on top of him. So he gets there and he's like, and there's these two trees they are still closing him out. I'm like, you're going to have to get inside those trees. So you're going to be within 15 and there's nothing between you and the deer to hide behind. Like, how are you? Jeez. I'm watching this. My heart's just racing. Like he's going to blow this. Can you up. see him? I could just see the deer. So I'm watching through binoculars, 16 power binoculars at mm. 36 yards. And I'm just watching his head move every time something happens. Can you see your guide? Yeah. Or... He's right in front of me. He's oh, okay. 15 yards in front of me. And I'm just like, this is, I'm, I'm already chalked it up to, this is the dumbest bonsai move I've ever seen, you know? And so we get there and finally he, he's, he's like, come on. He's like, and I'm like, okay, you got in there. There's no way that my 230 pound with a pack and all my stuff, I'm not mm -hmm. from like, there's no way I'm going to be able to sleep, slip in there. So it took like 15 or 20 minutes to move 10 yards. And it was, and he told me, he was just like, every time the wind gusts, take a step, take a step. And it was like, oh, that's so good. He's like, that way you know he's not going to smell you, but that uh, mm -hmm. the wind. And, and, and yeah, you just do it. You'd wait and you hear it coming. You go, boom, boom, and you'd be up two feet. You wait, boom, boom, and you're like, this is going to work. <laughs> so we got to what I considered about 15 yards. And oh, my like, God. You're just on top Dude, of him. you're on top of him. And I could see him, but I still can't get a shot because these two limbs. And then he literally, he was just like, stand right there and kill him. And it's like another yard but I had to go through these two branches to get it, and to so get he the pulls shot. the branch back without it breaking like a door. <laughs> and then I had to slip between these two branches and it was like, I got past. So you had it. to slide between them to get the shot Slide between them. And you're like, it's catching <clears> on stuff. And you're like, just don't break a branch. Don't snap a twig. Don't do it. And you're just like, so super isometrically slow. And I got through, it, it was like mission impossible. And I stopped and all I could see was the deer's back of his head. And he just happens to be looking the other way. And I'm like, holy crap, I'm in this dude's bedroom right now. Like, this is checkmate if there was ever a checkmate. But the wind could swirl and he would just blow out of his bed. Yeah. You know? And so, and so I look at my guide and I and I just point to the back of his neck. And I was like, I'm gonna shoot him right there. I was like, he's like, no, don't do that. And I'm like, that's I, I got it right here. I, I can't miss it 15 yards. He's like, just wait, just wait, he'll stand up. I'm like, we're we're screwed. And I sat there for 30 minutes perfectly still release was on the arrow just just locked in and it's like i would just watch his top of his back and i would try to like sink my breathing to his and it was just like we became like the same thing and i would every time his ear would move and i'm just like i am sitting on top of you and you don't know this and it was just but i started calming down everything and after a while like the head would move a little bit more and I'm like oh He's starting to stir. He's starting to stir. Mm -hmm. And then it was just like, like in slow-mo, I saw his hips rise because they get, their butt goes up mm -hmm. first. And then, and I was like, I went whop and then just pulled, pulled it back into that anchor point. You know, you settle in bubble, do the whole shot process. And it's like that weird, 
it's like probably like football, like you're in the end zone, a ball is going to you and you see it right before it hits your hand. And you're like, that's done. Yeah. Like there, that's it's checkmate. It's done. Right. And, and just like he stood up and he's still facing away the pins on him. And I wanted like this perfect shot for him to turn and show me his vitals like perfectly. But I started to think, I was like, I mean, it's all happened so fast. Like if he turns this way, he's turned into a tree. He won't turn left. If he turns right and takes one step, he's off the hill and he's down. <clears throat> so he just quartered, opened it up just enough. I was sitting there, I'm like, I'm at 15 yards. I know this deer's anatomy like my own. And so I slipped it in front of his hip behind his last, last rib mm -hmm. and just, you know, center punched him, took out everything inside. And, um, deer never knew I was there. He ran 60 yards, which took about a second and a half. And, uh, the guy, I didn't see him anymore, but the guys on the radio were like, he's down. And it was just like the whole mountain erupted. Like you just hear everyone. I was like, finally, you know, just, I was like, these things actually can be killed. Like, I can't believe this. So it was awesome. And it, it was the coolest part was, is a guy, Kenny, who was a guide there. It's been there since 1991. Mm -hmm. And he's like, he's like, we kill 30 or 40 bucks a year. We kill four, three to 400 elk a year here. And we've done it for 30 something years. He's like, that was the top two stalk I've ever watched in my life. And he's like, it gave me chills. That's he, insane. He was, that was, that's crazy. And he literally was like tearing up like this old man. He's like, uh -huh. he goes, that stock gave me chills. He goes, it was as good as you'll ever see. And I was like, that's cool that I got to be a part. Now it yeah. was orchestrated by Austin. Like <clears throat> it was just ninja level stuff, but, yeah. but that he was able to like, pull me through it but what i came away with was like a mountain of knowledge of stuff i learned from it like oh i know what you can get away with what you can't like it was kind of like being on a super bowl winning team and then you go oh that's how you win like got it and so i walked away from it like a new sense of accomplishment but also confidence of like i know how to i wouldn't say replicate that but i learned so much in that five years, but that last 10 minutes was like, okay, this put a stamp on how you do this. Mm -hmm. So that was my mule deer story. You know, what's interesting is that that parallels everything we talked about before we ever started talking about hunting. Mm -hmm. It's the same thing. Same thing. You know, that, that's why, that's why I do it. It's like it's, you're talking about like all the stuff led up to that piece at the end. Mm -hmm. Right. But you had to do all the other stuff. And now if I had to replicate it, I could cut down 50 things I wouldn't do and higher probability shot, mm -hmm. you know, and, and I talked to the guys at big Chino when I was out in Arizona and they told me they'd go, Bert, you'll, you'll kill this next hunt. Like you're getting it. We're watching you as a hunter. We know you're just about to get it. Like we see you've made all the mistakes, but mm -hmm. you have to make all the mistakes. Yeah. And they're like, Oh, you'll be, you'll be there. And I go, what does that mean? They go, you'll go from a 20% guy. You'll be in the fifties and sixties. It's like, like we get guys that they'll almost kill every year because they just figure it out and you just know what to do and you're like oh but you got to pay your dues like you, it was five weeks in the woods to figure it out and so now i feel like i have a just a better understanding but there's no shortcut to it so if somebody if you got to pick now knowing what you know now if you got to pick and you went out on those first three and you killed every one of them mm -hmm. or you did this and you missed on four, but you had the most epic stock there is. I, I Which one do you take? I wouldn't, I wouldn't change it. I mean, the first buck was bigger, but I wouldn't have had the experience on right. on that last bit that I learned so much. And because of the good part was I still learned on the first two. 
Mm-hmm. I still learned what I should have done and fixed. So I was like, oh, I still won that hunt because I learned from it. You either win or you, or you learn. Right. And, but I got to learn on three now and they're all different scenarios. And I go, oh, because now if you ran the play, the playback, I'd probably go 100% on those three now that I know. Mm-hmm. But going into it's like, okay, I'm that much better for next year. And now, of course, the addictive property of it goes, I just want to do it again. Now you have to go on another mule deer hunt. Oh, 100%. Year, right? Like, literally, like, I was like, finally. And I looked at my guide. He's like, it's the greatest thing ever, isn't it? I was like, I would do this again right now. If you said there's another stock to go on, I would go right now and go do this again. So is it better than elk? Like, now that you've done it, you've I know you've done a, a number of elk I, I like elk. Elk. elk is more action. You don't have to be as stealthy. Mm-hmm. It's more work. It's more, it's a more fast pace. It's like, it's like long distance precision shooting versus like close quarter combat. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's like. They're different. They're different. different. Elk, you don't have to be as noisy, but you better cover a lot more territory and less like more fast pace. This is like very painstaking, almost to the point where you could think too much, Yeah, which is, it's just a different animal, but some guys I know don't care anything about mule deer because they just love the fast pace and the ruggedness of elk. And then some guys are like, you put me on a mule deer, I'm the happiest because it's the hardest thing to do. Yeah. And so you, I, I'm like, hey, man, I like both of them. Like, you know, do you love a great steak or do you love great barbecue? I don't know. But yes. Sounds great. Like, <laughs> one's flash cooked, one's cooked for 14 hours. Yes. Which one are we doing today? Sounds I'll, good. I'll do that one. You know? <laughs> so I, I have to go back to it. It's one of those things when you, as, as everything, when you finally have success in something, that's when that like mm-hmm. last bit of addictive, like, Oh, I'm not a guy that's like, once I've got it, it's like, Oh, cool. I'll never do that again. Right. So, no, I, I have to ride, like, that ride again. Yeah. I have to ride it. Well, maybe, uh, someday when you're the pro mule deer hunter, you'll get, <laughs> I'll get to go out and cut oh, my man. teeth on it. Mm. <laughs> I pray that you can, man. It's so fun. It's so ridiculously so fun. Yeah, elk, elk is a uh, elk is awesome because they're just so big and they're just like you go up to your elk. I, mean, I killed my elk last year at six yards with a bow. Yeah, and it was like I'm looking forward to that next fall. Oh, you'll I can't wait. You'll love it. It's just so hard. I mean, right now is the time, and you know we're mid September. Bulls are bugling, and everybody, all my buddies are posting all these great pictures of elk. I'm like, oh, man. You're not going out elk hunting this not, year? Not this year. Yeah, we'll try to do it again. Well, maybe we can go together. That'd be fun. That would be a blast. I actually got a call from a guy two days ago. He was like, you want to go into a trophy unit in in New Mexico? And like, like when he's like tomorrow, I'm like, (laughs) sounds amazing, but guess what? I have stuff to do. (laughs) Like, you know, know, it's one of those things that just opened up the last minute. Yeah. I'd love to be in a place where I could just, yeah, I'll I'll be on a plane, but maybe in 10 years. Right. Maybe so. Yeah. Well, I know you got some place to go. Thank you so yes, much sir. for coming by, brother. Thank you. I appreciate you, all your mentorship and everything that you're like teaching me and just being available. Oh, it's, it means yeah. a lot to me. Uh, likewise, it's been super fun. I'm a uh, big shout out to uh, Tyler Renew for hooking us up. Yeah. And um, Tyler's a great guy. Yeah, it's been fun. And I'm, I'm uh, probably be scratching for some mentorship from you. Uh, uh, it's, it's, um, you, you have it figured out, but. Thank you for having me on the show. Oh, Thanks I've, for getting me to hang out. It's been a pleasure, and um, I uh, I really appreciate your friendship a lot. Likewise. Likewise. Thanks, brother. Yeah, brother. All right, man. Thanks. That's fun.